Hello and Happy New Year all. I'm your host, Claudia Shambaugh, welcoming you to the January 4th, 2021 edition of Digging Out. This is the new time slot for this program, Mondays, 5.30 to 6 p.m. It's a shorter form than I previously had last fall, but we'll make it work. We've got one half hour to approach getting things done. This program offers a means for getting us through November 3rd, we've passed that, December 3rd, passed that too, and we've even passed January 3rd, 2021. With my special guests, we are collectively clearing the debris from the last four years, the last 400 years, or even so many millennia. In this case, with my guest today, we're gonna clear debris even from the last four weeks, the last year. For today's show, Jose Trinidad Casaneda, climate action campaign organizer, has two separate tracks in which he's working, the planet's health and his own. Let me introduce him now. Jose Trinidad Castaneda is climate action campaign organizer to take up what has been happening in this last year. Let me go over a little bit of his bio for everybody's benefit. He is the climate and energy advocate and organizer. He's a board member of the Abundant Housing LA. He was coordinator for the Pro Agua. He was an independent consultant with Purium Health Products. And he was a student research assistant at Cal State Los Angeles. He was a 2019 fellow of the New Leaders Council Los Angeles Institute. Jose created after-school aquaponics and food justice programs for middle elementary school students. He's been involved in so many things. So I wanna welcome to Digging Out today, Jose Trinidad Castaneda. Thank you so much, Claudia, and happy new year to you and all your listeners. Thank you so much. So I was looking at when you were on my other show, Ask a Leader, it was almost a year to this day there has been so much ground that's shaken under all of us and additional turf underneath you. You were just beginning to get Irvine to sign on to a joint powers agreement for the climate action campaign. The city of Irvine was at the cusp of forming a regional community choice energy joint powers agreement. Let's talk about what unraveled, slowed down, and then with the COVID settling in, it changed some of the timing for all the municipalities that were all going to join in with the city of Irvine to create this Community Choice Energy Joint Powers Agreement. Absolutely. And a year ago today, we had no idea if we were going to get this done in time, how many cities were going to join, what kind of challenges we would face. But lo and behold, as of today, the Orange County Power Authority has formed with five Orange County cities, Irvine, Huntington Beach, uh, Fullerton, Lake Forest, and Buena Park. And they've submitted their uh, implementation plan to the California Public Utilities Commission, uh, officially creating our first community choice energy program in Orange County. And I'm going to let listeners unpackage all that what the community choice energy is going to get done because there's so many pieces to the moving parts to getting to this place. Would you consider that the community choice energy prospect was a feature 
that candidates ran on in all the city elections. Some, so much of the composition has changed in the Orange County municipalities. Absolutely, and you, there is a dramatic difference in the policies and platforms that candidates are taking on. Um, I think last year, climate action wasn't a priority. And uh, despite the evidence and the climate crisis, Orange County elected officials and political candidates weren't talking about climate action or clean energy. But over the course of this year, I've seen how uh, mayors, council members, candidates have all brought community choice energy and climate action to the forefront of what they're going to achieve and what's possible to, uh, to bring to our county. So there was a forum at the Applied Innovations at UCI where the Irvine Mayor Pro Tem, Mike Carroll, presented in this, at that Applied Innovations Forum, he made the case, it penciled out for him, it was a go. And I remember you were in the room, I was in the room, even Mimi Walters was in the room. Jose Solorio was in the room. There were all these people that there was this momentum with getting that joint powers agreement going. And then the whole, the whole JPA stalled where the mayor, Christina Shea and her allies on the council, they were sort of, it was a, sort of a death by a thousand cuts, stalled this whole thing and every, the other, cities that were at the forum when those were still public city council meetings where we could be present, that they, they were all trying, they were all tripping over themselves about how jealous they were not to be the leading municipality. And it was like such momentum. And then there was some hidden hand undermining that momentum and it stalled completely by the summertime. And there's a clock running. You can't just have a joint powers agreement first step take place and the, uh, the clock ends at a certain point and you have to start afresh if you do not make milestones at, on time. That's right. And you know that behind the scenes uh, stalling and delay uh, really caught the attention of our boldest and most attentive climate activists who really wanted accountability from the city of Irvine having promised to make this a reality but not really showing any progress or taking steps to make it a reality. And we knew that with the limited time we had, we had to drum up some noise. So that's when folks, community leaders like Dr. Kathleen Trasteter, Ian Creation, uh, Linda Kramer, uh, wrote articles in the Irvine Watchdog, in Climate Reality Project, to apply pressure to any of those um, actors behind the scenes who didn't want to do their jobs. So. Because of that, uh, we saw a very dramatic and very rapid push um, from everyone towards the fall and winter months this year, or well, of 2020. And we saw movement like we've never seen before. Uh, we saw Buena Park agendize a special meeting um, just out of the blue and wow. uh, make a definitive vote to join. And the same thing with Lake Forest too. They just came out of nowhere <laughs> and joined the right off the bat. I was very happy to see them as well. And I think what I want the audience to take away from this part of the conversation is that we need allies that are advocating for clean energy solutions and 
climate action at every level, whether they're the decision makers and elected officials that we vote for, or their city staff who uh, work behind the scenes in operating um, some of this change, to business leaders and community members that have that relationship with their elected officials that we can lean on. So I definitely want people to walk away remembering that we need every voice at every level, but also that this is going to be long, long game. And if you don't feel comfortable joining the fight for saving our planet and all the people who we love uh, now, then there will always be an opportunity uh, for uh, you to be welcomed into that fight into our climate advocate community. So I wanna speak also, go back, wrote back to about May and June that the bandwidth for grassroots activity was loaded with all kinds of justice issues. And I don't know if you found an allyship with the social justice reaction post the murder of George Floyd, if the people that weren't liking the way the mayor was letting certain opportunities go, they didn't like her leadership style, her, her leadership uh, philosophy. If you found that there was a coalescing with people that were very, very aggrieved about George Floyd's killing. Right, so um, during that time, May, June, when uh, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, and uh, countless others uh, were brutally murdered by law enforcement, by those we entrust with our public safety. I think the priority at that time, and it should have been before then, but at that time and then continuing on to today, has been to highlight how racial justice intersects with all these other issues, whether it's climate justice or um, energy, uh, housing justice, um, they all intersect in multiple ways. There, there's a huge nexus that we are barely scratching the surface of. And as allies uh, in solidarity with uh, the racial justice movement, uh, we recognize that climate activists need to uh, advocate and support our black sisters and brothers, people of color, um, uh, indigenous peoples, so that's been a reckoning, um, I think within many, many people across the nation, um, hopefully many. And uh, I'm hopeful that moving forward into 2021 and beyond, we continue to recognize the need to uplift black stories and experiences within the climate justice movement. And that when we talk about policies like clean energy for all, uh, we're also thinking about equity and making sure underserved um, black and brown communities are at the forefront of receiving some of those benefits since they're most often the most at risk for climate change uh, impacts. And it's a delicate one. And I'm asking you a kind of a delicate question here is that the coalition, there are opportunities. I think they're not fully realized. I had on my last week's Digging Out show, two representatives of the Orange County chapters of Citizens Climate Lobby. And there is a, there's an, a, a, certainly a tight alignment of your goals, of your, your the out, desired outcomes. 
I think that they, they don't see the coalescing fully realized. So I don't know if you have something specific to say about that. No, I think it's uh, work that needs to be done. It's something that we in the climate justice community, uh, clean energy community, are recognizing. So we're in that process of doing a lot of internal reflection to see how we can be better allies. But I also see a lot of opportunities for coalition building with the NAACP chapter, um, our ACLU chapters uh, locally, just bringing on, hiring more uh, black and brown organizers to do this work and be paid for it. I think there's a lot of recognition in the philanthropic community that uh, there needs to be funding for racial justice, criminal justice, uh, restorative justice, and climate justice work. And I'm hopeful that uh, with the changes in leadership we're seeing throughout Orange County, whether it's in the business sector or the nonprofit sector uh, or, uh, or the public sector, that we are going to see more action, especially with um, very visible leaders like Tustin Mayor, Letitia Clark, um, for example. Wow, this is a new day. Well, and she's, she's in the middle of serving her four-year term, correct? I mean, she's now, she's been appointed mayor by her council, fellow council members, but she still has two more years on the council in her term. Yes. Okay. For those of you who've just joined us, my guest on Digging Out today is Jose Trinidad Castaneda. He's climate and energy advocate and organizer, a climate action campaign guy here. And we are talking about sort of rolling what's happened in the last 12 months. It's been super, super dense in the kinds of developments and the pivots and the bobs and the weaves, unlike we could have imagined. So you've had a chance to see how the city councils have responded to COVID protocols to keep everybody safe. Is there anything to that point before I go to a very individualized public health concern? Absolutely. So I don't believe Orange County uh, as the county, as well as our 34 cities, have done enough to address the COVID pandemic. I think that's evident from the fact that Orange County has been listed as one of the major hotspots for COVID-19 in Southern California and California at large. Um, I definitely want to see more action uh, from our Orange County sheriffs who refuse to enforce um, just the stay at home uh, guidelines that the state has put out. Uh, let alone, uh, uh, you know, going after restaurants who refuse to um, shut down their dine-in Jose, services. my concern is your observation of how city councils and county board of supervisor forums have been conducted and acknowledging pro how what their optics oh. have been, how they have moved in to demonstrate the seriousness that they take in the protocols and their own kind of creating forums. Because you've, you've seen them all. Yes. Fortunately, it's a privilege for me to be able to monitor and watchdog so many council meetings across the county. And from what I've seen, I don't feel that city councils and our Orange County supervisors have done enough to communicate the gravity of the COVID-19 pandemic in Orange County. 
We are listed as a huge hub and hotspot for transmission. And part of that is because the lack of leadership on public health. And my goal is for everyone to be safe. I am hoping that we can get through this without people dying as much as they have been. But the reality is that I have family members who work in our hospitals in Anaheim and Orange County and see firsthand how many people are dying every day and the, the dramatic lengths that hospitals have to go through in order to see who lives and who dies, who gets treatment and who doesn't, uh, or who to send to the temporary emergency tents outside or within the ICU beds. It's very grave. So I want to make a very particular kind of transition to a very personal part of COVID. If I remember correctly, it was on December 3rd, Jose, that you tweeted to your public that you yourself had tested positive for COVID. That's right. Um, just uh, earlier this month, I was exposed to COVID. Um, I developed incredibly severe symptoms. Fortunately, I recognized what was happening as soon as it started. And I hope it's not too much for me to share with your audience, but I really want people to understand how serious it can be um, to get COVID for the first time. And again, I'm so grateful for my family for taking care of me uh, when I was quarantining um, in a, you know, a very terrible motel <laughs> um, up here in North Orange County. But uh, it started with, you know, fatigue, uh, nausea, and quickly evolved to fevers every day over, you know, 99, 100, and so on vomiting and constipation and diarrhea and shortness of breath. I felt like I had an elephant on my chest and I couldn't even fill my lungs halfway for almost an entire week. So I was very terrified I was going to have to go to the ICU because once you're in the ICU, you're likely to be intubated. And um, if it gets worse than on life support. And I've known, I, I now know too many people who have passed away from a COVID, a COVID related pneumonia to know that I, I cannot risk spreading it to others, getting it for a second time. And I'm, I'm praying that people just wear a mask because from what I'm seeing, people are not. It, it's just a terrible thing to have uh, at all to ever experience. And it is the worst in, uh, illness that I've ever had in my life. Well, if it weren't for your tweeting that initially, and there's a few times where you would mention it, that your productivity was stunning, Jose. And so I don't know how you manage to keep, to rally with a little vigor, to keep moving this, this audacious agenda that yielded so much that we just talked about in the first part of this program together today. Um, how the heck did you do it? <laughs> uh, don't tell my coworkers. <laughs> uh, I was definitely uh, supposed to prioritize uh, my recovery, and I did that for you know two to three days. But we were at a an inflection point where um, all these cities uh, were deciding on joining the Orange County Power Authority, the new Joint Powers Authority for Community Choice, and I really felt that. It was my personal duty to see this through to the very end. And I delegated what I could. 
I asked people for help, but I also knew that um, as a subject matter expert, I needed to be present. And so I, I was fortunate to join city council meetings by Zoom or by phone and give my public comments uh, digitally and through there as well. So I'm just grateful that we have cities that did switch over to a, a digital format, but for the cities that are only in person like Lake Forest uh, or Fullerton, for example, I waited until I tested negative to be able to go and give public comment. So you have a kind of a, you know, you got a pretty known established relationship with various council members around the county. And and, then for example, Christina Shea, you, there were so many different ways you were trying to bring her to complete the JPA, but did she know that you were getting all this done with her council and others with being under the influence of a, a COVID disease? So I got COVID after the, as the transitions were happening between the former council members and the newly elected council members. So I think with the Irvine Mayor Christina Shea in particular, the issue had passed and we had already built so much support within the city of Irvine from multiple different communities that it needed to be done. And it would have been terrible, <laughs> um, terrible if, if it hadn't gone through. I, I believe that um, her opponent, now Mayor Farrah Khan, uh, ran on Community Choice Energy uh, as her platform or as a major part of her platform. And it definitely caught the attention of the tens of thousands of Irvine voters in the city compared to how Mayor Christina Shea was campaigning, which didn't um, center uh, clean energy and climate action. And I think that played a major role in that election, but also by the time that it got COVID, um, it seemed that uh, it was a done deal where climate action and clean energy had won out with uh, Mayor Farrah Khan and the new city council. Well, my last question in today's program, Jose, is how are you doing now? Are, do you consider yourself a long hauler or it's too early to say? How are you feeling today? So I'm feeling great. It's a happy New Year's Eve for me, my family, and hopefully everyone listening. I don't believe I have any long-term impacts uh, yet. I, I believe I've made a full recovery with uh, no more symptoms from COVID. I went on a 25 mile bike ride yesterday. Oh. <laughs> uh, and I didn't have any um, breathing or lung issues, respiratory issues. I definitely wear a mask everywhere still. And I am planning to get um, laboratory tested uh, in the coming weeks. For the antibody? Uh, uh, well, um, to, just to see if there was any internal damage or internal impacts um, to my organs or system, uh, respiratory system. I definitely wanna be aware of uh, just things that I might not, might not even register at this moment, but fortunately everything is good for now. I consider myself one of the lucky ones. I didn't go to the ICU, I made a full recovery, but uh, we never know as uh, some folks might know the new strain of the COVID virus from the United Kingdom has uh, appeared in California, yes. which is much more contagious. And if mutant strains continue to spread and evolve, then we definitely need to be careful with our basic hygiene practices uh, moving on into the future. Well, it was amazing and 
amazingly wonderful news to hear that you had recovered when you, you posted with all of us. And that was, so I, it meant a lot to me. I, I was really concerned there and trying to check in with my own way of trying to rally for you, Jose. So thank you for giving us that insight. Thank you for your time today. We're recording this on New Year's Eve for January 4th. So if anything changes, this is where we are in this moment. Thank you so much for your time today, Jose. Absolutely, thank you so much and happy new year to you as well, Claudia. Thank you. Good luck on mending all the way and we'll get back and we're gonna clear more debris later this year if you ever have a moment to take that time with me again. Of course. Thank you. My guest today was Jose Trinidad Castaneda, climate and energy advocate and organizer. Before I close, I'd just like to mention that if you're in Georgia or know someone who is, January 5th is a runoff for two U.S. Senate seats. It only determines which party has the majority in the U.S. Senate. Talk to you next week. I appreciate your listening and happy new 2021.